Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg. Ken Leon, a CFRA, joins us now. Ken Leon, what does Jamie Dimon need from President Biden? He needs really to really set the tone for confidence for the country and to make sure that we're going back to a period of normalcy uh, as it relates to how people think and live. Uh, as it relates to the economy, the stimulus is coming. Uh, that's going to help the consumer and small business. Uh, probably we'll see that benefit by the second quarter. Um, and again, this rear mirror of COVID-19, we did see a reserve release of 2.9 billion after building up to 33.8 billion. That tells me that other than distressed industries and energy or in leisure, the economy has strong footing for 21. Banks are gonna benefit from that. When uh, Ms. Bazic walked into the studio, Ken Leon, the first thing out of her mouth was 24%. Give us scope and scale on that startling tangible number. It's enormous, and it really speaks to um, the buildup of capital, for one thing, and the opportunity of return of capital with buyback and dividends to shareholders. And banks are total return investments. So with yield and cash flow and that type of return, um, it's obviously going to you know, flow to investors. Can they sustain that? It's questionable. And certainly you want to be above certain regulated capital ratios, which they are. Um, but certainly there's a chance to both invest in the business and to return capital to shareholders. Uh, that's a positive story for this year. We did not have that last year. So just to refresh where we're at right now, J.P. Morgan shares little change ahead of the open. They just reported earnings that blew away expectations with uh, adjusted revenue in the fourth quarter, just to give you some size and scope here, of $30.2 billion versus the estimated $28.7 billion. There is a question of how long the trading boom can last, Ken, especially as we see volatility dampened by fiscal and monetary policies. Do you sense uh, and the, are the expectations that the debt trading and the equity equity trading revenues and beats will continue for 2021? We're in a risk on environment, which means that for both corporate issuers, equity and debt, and also for investors, uh, it will continue certainly for the first half of this year. Uh, earlier, Allison mentioned about a more normal second half, but we are seeing acceleration in Main Street banking, non-interest revenue in the fourth quarter was up nearly $2 billion even though net interest income with lower rates was down 900 million. You continue that trend, we can keep capital markets kind of flat uh, from a high level. Um, and certainly the equity market does not reward bank stocks uh, just for having the capital markets firing on all cylinders. So I think it's really gonna be back to traditional lending and how they're contending with getting the wallet share from the consumer and business with fintech coming into the markets. When you talk about traditional lending, Ken, I'm looking at the fourth quarter provisions for credit losses that actually were more than expected at 1.89 billion versus the estimated 1.39 billion. Is there anything that we can take away from this in terms of what they are seeing on the ground with consumers in the fourth quarter as the coronavirus pandemic continued to worsen? 
The only thing that I think still remains in the shadows is, you know, the um, related to uh, mortgage payments and whether collections uh, have improved or there's been either with state regulation um, forgiveness in terms of payments for a period of time. Uh, but when you go through the provisions and allowance uh, for loan losses, um, you know, it's not alarming at all. And uh, again, uh, I'm actually seeing um, in the fourth quarter um, somewhat of an improvement, you know, with home lending. Home lending has been great, both for, also for new mortgage origination. Um, I don't see any risk with Carter Auto. And then it really gets back to the consumer with that narrative of can they meet their monthly payments. But um, I, again, see this more as a rear mirror issue unless there's going to be some surprise where both the economy and the consumer um, move to a weaker position right. early this year. And I don't see that. Ken, hugely valuable. Kenneth Leon with us with CFRA. Just greatly appreciate it this morning. And again, more bank earnings uh, to come, not only here, but in Europe as well. We have been getting a consensus on Wall Street that banks are the place to be. Daniel Morris, BNP Paribas Asset Management, senior investment strategist, joining us now. Based on what we're seeing, Daniel, do you see that that reflationary trade, that idea of banks being a sweet spot in 2021, is uh, still the right call? Um, we we do think so. If you look at forward rates, excuse me, forward levels for for ten-year Treasuries, the market's looking for about 1.3 percent uh, over the next year. So the important thing is is that's an upward trend. Uh, another key driver for value outperformance has been what's happening with commodity prices, oil in particular. And there's probably still some upside there. Um, so it's something that we're watching. It's not going to be a multi-year trend in the same way that you had growth outperforming value for years and years. Uh, but now we think at least the momentum is still on the value side. Daniel, thank you so much for joining today in the middle of bank earnings. I know it's inappropriate for a gentleman from a French bank to talk about American banking, so we'll leave that to Shanali here as she massages Citigroup earnings. Daniel Morris, how have you adjusted your view off of a Democratic president, a Democratic House, and a Democratic Senate? Well, it's, it's a bit of, of plus and minus. On one hand, certainly everyone is ratcheting up their expectations for fiscal stimulus, and that's certainly what we're seeing, broadly speaking, reflected in Treasury yields. It'll be a question of, of how much uh, um, President-elect Biden is actually able to obtain relative to his initial proposal, but nonetheless, this should be more than we thought would have been the case a month or so ago. Uh, at the same time, the market's pretty enthused about that. So actually, we've reduced our allocation uh, for equities from an overweight to neutral, just perhaps waiting for a better entry point. We all know there's always going to be something upsetting that happens. Uh, at some point, we'll have a pullback in the markets, and we think that's going to be the better time yeah. to go back likely to an overweight position. Well, you know, it's like Tina. I don't know how you spell Tina in French, but we'll go with it. I mean, you need a pullback. When Tina. are you going to get a pullback? People are massaging this out past 4th of July. Daniel, that's a holiday in America. They're going out to July and into the summer. Do you know when and that pullback's going to occur? Well, the most likely trigger, at least of the, of the risks that we're cognizant of, clearly is going to be uh, something around the pandemic. And, and unfortunately, we have uh, plenty of, of distressing news there. So at some point, if it accumulates uh, sufficiently to the point where people start to rethink their forecasts, either yeah. for earnings or for GDP, that could be something that would likely cause things to turn around at least briefly. 
Daniel Morris, too short a visit. We'll do this again, but we've got some interesting bank developments here for Global Wall Street. Mr. Morris with BNP Paribas. A busy, busy day. Not only are we getting the retail sales that came in highly disappointing, but banks have been reporting earnings. Uh, JP Morgan, the leader when it comes to uh, top line earnings per share growth, as well as uh, the, the trading revenues, and yet their shares down 1.4% ahead of the open. Wells Fargo shares tumbling after disappointing. Allison Williams tracking it all, Bloomberg Intelligence senior banking analyst. And Allison, as you uh, peruse all of the reports, what stands out to you? So before uh, the reports, we said we'd be looking for three key things, trading and capital markets momentum, net interest income troughing, uh, provisions peaking. So I think we got evidence again about that broadly, uh, but some differences across the peers. I think the one key story that's developing across uh, not just banks, but financial services, as we saw at BlackRock yesterday, is higher spending. So J.P. Morgan had increased their estimates for investment spending at a December conference. They raised that again. They also do expect higher net interest income, so there's some offset there. Wells Fargo, everybody's been um, watching the cost number. That's the big opportunity over the next several years. Their guidance for costs is higher than uh, consensus expected, while as their net interest income expectation is lower. So that's a mm. negative, um, but again, spending more on investments. Uh, Citigroup, we haven't seen the net interest income guidance, but their um, trading revenue did come in a, a little bit light, thick worse. That's their bigger business equities better. Um, but again, they're spending on costs, not just for investments, but related to some of their regulatory issues. And BlackRock, I referenced earlier, stellar quarter yesterday, great new business, record assets. Um, but the fact that they said that they're going to be spending more on investments across a, a lot of different items, um, I think, was a negative takeaway right. for investors. Allison, do we have too many big banks? Well, it feels it might feel like that on a day like today, but actually the U.S. banking system is still rather fragmented. So we do have these big banks, but we still have a number of smaller banks, and we do think that um, consolidation will be a continuing trend. I think it's it's interesting when you look across the banking system. If if we looked past you know, multiple decades. In the 90s, we saw tons of mergers, but we saw bank branches still growing, and that happened basically up until the crisis. Since then, over the past um, decade or so, we start to see those branches come in, and that's really the digital story. Um, you know, we, we all talk about a lot of the acceleration in the digital story that we've um, seen during the pandemic. Will that lead to uh, lesser branches? So, mm. so again, supply not just about the number of banks, but about the number of actual branches. I, I mentioned this with Ms. Basick earlier. The idea that Bank of America was flat on their back and Moynihan clearly has turned Bank of America around. What does Jane Frazier need to do to do a Moynihan? Well, the number one, I, I think, issue with Citi uh, over the past decade and perhaps even the past two decades is, is operating leverage. And, you know, that's really been um, the focus of investors and I think where the disappointments have been. And again, if you take a very long-term view in terms of how Citigroup was created, you know, it was a lot of different entities brought together. Um, after the financial crisis, uh, Corbett did um, make efforts to simplify, but it still is such a more complex organization just in terms of um, the broad footprint. So they, they definitely have slimmed down their businesses. 
Um, they divested the retail brokerage to Morgan Stanley, which has actually been a win for them. They've cut geographies. They've gotten simpler. So I think Jane really just needs to um, continue that journey in terms of more simplification and then just really getting the cost structure uh, right. And I think that, mm-hmm. that the regulators have sort of indicated that that's their frustration um, with right. Citigroup just in terms of, um, you know, the risk management and, and getting that sort of overview together. Allison Williams, in celebrating a new Bloomberg function, MODL, I really want to bring it to your attention. For those of you that are global Wall Street pros, like J.P. Morgan, JPM Equity, MODL, is a whole new financial analysis uh, with the leadership of Allison uh, Williams. We're going to finish strong in the south. This is what our control room does well. Team surveillance wiring us up with Mr. Ritholtz. We're going to do that right now. Of course, it's wonderful podcast, longer conversations, smarter conversations, masters in business, and of course, uh, occasionally buying stock. Barry, uh, we got eight ways to go here. I want to get through this quickly because I think I've got to go to Europe in a couple uh, minutes. The control room will tell me. Barry, affirm 30, 41, opens at 90. Gets up to 137, comes down. The SPACs in all that. How do you frame to your clients the, what I'm going to call, internet mania wrapped around tech? Is it a manufactured hype or is it real? So there's a spectrum. There's a continuum. You know, the the you, Bitcoin is really the poster child for just pure speculation. Um, Tesla has some real great fundamental underlying technologies, but a lot of speculation in that. And then you work your way down uh, the speculative ladder. The the problem with SPACs is that they follow Sturgeon's law, which is 90% of everything is crap. So if you can get into um, a, a Martin Franklin SPAC, or if you can get into um, a, a Bill Ackman SPAC, you the odds are tilted slightly in your favor, but look at how many SPACs came out last year and how poorly they performed. You, you have to really be very selective. Are they by prospectus? Is this the fleecing of retail because they're not codified off of Securities Act 33 and 34? Well, it's a great backdoor around that. Um, where Give us your money for a venture uh, to be determined later reminds a little bit of the Great South Sea bubble. Uh, And that's why you have to go to people with a track record who have done this before. Hey, um, social capital, that's done a number of home runs. You have to say they seem to be really good at identifying uh, things with with hidden value. On the other hand, what what were there, like 200 SPACs last year? Yeah. Uh, You know, when everybody... The, the genius of any of these new or, or revamped asset classes is they identify a market inefficiency and the first few get to profit from that. They find alpha. But when everybody else piles into the space, hey, that inefficiency gets arbitraged away and there's no more upside left. So it's like the old days when someone would find a little bit of gold in that stream, yeah. it was great for the first two panners. By the hundredth guy that shows up, 
it ain't nothing but pebbles and and fish poop. That is not um, how you make money in the markets consistently. Very good. Barry, we've got to leave it there with breaking news. Barry Ritholtz, too short a visit. Look for his podcast out on Bloomberg. It is exceptionally strong. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Subscribe and listen to interviews on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. I'm on Twitter at Tom Keen. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio.